Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for episode 97. And this particular episode is brought to you by MoGive. MoGive. Yo, MoGive. <laughs> um. They're probably like, um, when we agreed to sponsor the show, we thought it would be a little bit different. We thought No, they would... actually listen to the show, oh, so they, no. know, they know what they're in for. <laughs> Kent, Kent's like, never again. Call Tyrone. Call White Tyrone. Never again. Note to self, call Tyrone, cancel ad. <laughs> Hopefully Siri's not working when he says that to Siri. So here, let me give let me give MoGiv our uh, sponsor for this particular episode their proper props, if you will. Have you been waiting to get your church started with online giving? Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Stop it! A better solution is here. MoGiv, spelled M-O-G-I-V is an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Go to mogive.com forward slash church to learn more. Mogive, spelled M-O-G-I-V. <gasps> that was the best ad ever. <laughs> I just, I like that. I like that whole, they got it written here in the text, spelled M-O-G-I-V. I gotta, I gotta That's like awesome. give it a little yeah, bit of can, a scene, you know, a little bit of you a. Totally uh, you do. You gotta, you gotta put a jingle on that. That's like, that deserves a jingle. And you guys use MoGive, right? Our entire network uses MoGive. I mean, they're paying us for sponsorship. You know, it's not like they're scratching our back or we're scratching theirs. We uh, we actually, I I met Kent, and it was a total God thing because that morning I'm like, God, uh, I don't want to keep using like PayPal or online giving sucks. And I, you know, I was kind of asking around, and somebody mentioned MoGive. And they mentioned that uh, Miles uh, down at The Rock in San Diego, um, that he was using it, Miles McPherson. So I'm like, oh, well, it must be pretty good. And I bump into the, this dude the morning. I'm like, hey, God, just direct me on this. And 
you know, I don't always ask for stuff like that. But like I've said before, like stuff to do with math, anything math related sucks for me. I bump into Kent uh, Woodyard, who's like the the sales rep for MoGive at my coffee shop where I write books. Uh, he's the sales rep for MoGiv. That was awesome. Sorry, go for <gasps> it. That's gonna be like cha-ching. Yeah, MoGiv. MoGiv. <gasps> Like, I'm overwhelmed by the glory. But no, our entire network uh, uses MoGiv. I don't think there's a Newbury church out there that does not. And I don't tell these guys. I mean, if you and if you had more than one church in the network, it'd be really impressive. <laughs> no, we, we actually we have quite I'm, a bit. I, I'm playing, I think on a regular, I'm playing. Everyone's I know, like, I know, I know. I knew Newbury uh, was small. It's just Refuge Long Beach. That's it. <laughs> I made even that up. Refuge Long Beach, me and you. Make these other people up all the time. It's like Mr. Rogers, right? We're like, there's Mr. McFeely, there's Mr. Rogers. I think there's the guy down at like some factory that makes cardboard boxes. Other than that, it's just him, and he just makes all these people up. So, um, what 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 was the name of Mr. Rogers's fake land, dude? Do you think I remember what happened on Mr. Rogers, dude? Now you have to tell me your dad let you watch. They had Mr. the freakiest Rogers. puppets on that show. I didn't like watching that I show. No, Lady Fairchild was the freakiest horror like freaking doll ever made. Hello, little boy. She had that weird voice. You know what I mean? Dude. It was, and you know, it was Fred Rogers. He was just making it up. It was Fred. Fred was actually a Lutheran minister. I don't know if you know that. Um, you know, I didn't know he was Lutheran, but I think I had heard something about him being a believer or something. Yeah, he went to seminary with R.C. Sproul. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, just a little tidbit. My dad was an actor, right? And uh, he went to. Uh, uh, Carnegie Mellon, which is like an acting school. By the way, how did we go from MoGive to now we're talking about acting school? Well, we we followed the very natural train progression. Rogers. Um, <laughs> you said that we were. And by the up. way, church planner, if this is your first time listening to the show, we actually don't know where we're going with today's episode, but we're going to give you sixty well, minutes of gold, no matter what. It's an episode. Of <laughs> the first part that's not about church planning is really good. But, uh, no, you know what? Finishing my story, I think we got there by saying we were making up imaginary people at Refuge Long Beach. We just tell you total lies. It's just me and Pete. We go and sit in Long Beach every day. And you don't even show up, so it's really just me. Absolutely. Well, I used to show up. You show up once a month. On a park bench, and we just point people out and say, let's make up a story about that guy and put it on the podcast. And so we pick, like, really freaky people, and then we make up stories, and we, we tell you that they go to our church in Long Beach. There is no church in Long Beach. I told you that uh, the first time I met Jonathan Ferguson is when he came and spoke at Refuge Long Beach. And my very first line to him was, you know what I want to hear you say. Oh, I knew you were going to bring this up. He actually said it in his um, sermon. And he goes, all right, I just got to say it. I I agree with Pete. And then uh, Jimbo was there that day, and Jimbo starts dying of laughter. He's the only one in the auditorium because he's the only one who listens. No one at Refuge in Long Beach. In fact, I don't think even anyone in New Breed listens to uh, the podcast, except for maybe Cameron Barber. Oh, oh yeah, and uh, Mike Neal's listens. I don't think the rest of them do. No, they're probably like, ah, we get Peyton live already. I don't need to except listen to his Ruben. podcast. Ruben, who like started listening like what a couple weeks ago, and, and he's just mowing through him. He started at number one, and is he he did? Oh, did you see that Facebook 
comment. Gosh, that was so funny. He, he, he attributed suck it up buttercup to the wrong person. He attributed that to uh, Philip Yancey, which is just like the opposite of what Philip Yancey would say under any <laughs> circumstance. He would never say suck it up buttercup. That was just funny to me. Yeah, that was a very bizarre thread. I actually felt like at one point, I wonder if we can delete this thread. It just got more bizarre. It went into Charlotte's Web. You know, <laughs> well, I the, stopped paying attention after uh, you guys stopped tagging me. I, I just ignored it. Yeah. So anyways, as I go back to my dad, um, his roommate in acting college was um, Mr. Whipple from Don't Squeeze a Charmin. Okay. Remember him? No. Oh my gosh! You know what? Most most of our audience is younger, so I'm like this long in the tooth, 41 year old dude, and no one knows who in the heck I'm talking about. But back in the 70s, toilet paper was like there were toilet paper wars on TV. Believe it or not, your bum and its comfort was a big concern of the 1970s. I can tell you, so, it's a big concern of the 2014 for me personally. <laughs> it is. I remember when I first met you. You're like, hey, I have a poop calendar. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Everyone's going to be like, daily, you had a daily calendar and every day it told you something different about yeah, it. Yeah, not, it was, yeah, let's clarify this for everyone listening. It wasn't like I was keeping a calendar. Oh, I had a good poop today. Oh, today's was a little bit soft. <laughs> a journal, a poop journal. This was one of those 365 day calendars where you rip off each day and it was all about poop every day. Oh, dude, My awesome. wife got it for me as like a Christmas present. It was the best calendar oh, the, ever. The, but you need a poop journal. I'm going to get you that for Christmas this year. I just remember I would, like, take pictures of some of the days and text them to you. <laughs> I was I like, remember that. you got to see what today says. This is great. What, what was even better was I think after, you know, one or two times and, and watching my response to it, you, you, you then texted me gleefully, you're my only friend who actually gets my calendar. I think that's what cemented our friendship. Well, what I remember you saying that was really funny to me is you go, I think it's so great that I'm your pastor and you feel like you can talk to me like this. And I'm like, dude, I grew up with a pastor. I've seen behind the curtain. It doesn't mean anything to me that Absolutely. you're a pastor. You're like, I'm, I'm, I, I was raised with Jedi's. I'm immune to your parlor tricks. It doesn't, pretty much, doesn't pretty much. But uh, yeah, so anyways, don't squeeze a Charmin was a big deal. There was a guy named, uh, that wasn't my dog, by the way. That was your dog. That was your dog. And and so there was a guy, and I hope your train doesn't come, because I'm really trying to get this out. Your train and your dog would just shut up for a second. But uh, anyway, so there was this guy, and he'd come around, and he'd tell people not to squeeze the Charmin, because it was so soft, people couldn't resist, like, picking it up and squeezing it. So, you know, my generation, we know Mr. Whipple, and that was a big deal, don't squeeze the Charmin. People used to say that stuff all the time when you use a bathroom. You'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom. People would be like, hey, don't squeeze the Charmin. <laughs> all I can say is, I swear. You remember how uh, how Bill was like listening to our podcast and was like, uh, I don't know what I think about this. If he's listening to this episode, I'm just in tears just thinking well, about Bill listening. Because the reason is, I, I, what I love is I get to hide behind you. You're like my Jimmy. <laughs> Blame it, it on awesome. Pete. I'm just like... He, you know, I don't know how many times I've said this either on the podcast or uh, in public, you know, on comments. Pete, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Someone gets mad there. Pete's really sorry about that. And I just keep saying that. People, you know, it's great. Everyone's just like, it's Pete's fault. 
I always just like to remind people when they, they email us and complain, I just like to tell them, um, I'm not a pastor. I'm not personally a church planner. I'm just a dude. <laughs> like those yeah, are my, and, you're and, holding and, me and, to a standard I do not deserve to be held to. In, and I can just say, you know, Pete's come a long way since we've been doing this podcast. I'll talk to him. I'll keep sanctifying. <laughs> that is what you say to people. Him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then they're like, oh, bless you. You know what? Gosh, Peyton, you're so strong. That's such a good thing you're doing for Pete on that podcast. I don't know how you minister to him. I admire you so much. I will pray more for you now that I know that. Mm. So uh, what are we talking about today on today's podcast now that we're 10 minutes in? Well, we, we got another six minutes, and I really want to talk about the new U2 album. So, you know. You know, down- I started listening to it. I don't know what I think. I, I, don't, I don't think it's – it hasn't blown my hair back. I certainly haven't no. been like, oh, this is the greatest album ever. But some U2 albums are like that. Like I, my absolute favorite album and uh, my second favorite, of course, is Joshua Tree, right? But uh, coming coming in after that would be um, Achtung, baby. And uh, after that would be, well, my first, my very favorite is the album before this last one, um, No Line on the Horizon, because it's just filled and packed with stuff I relate to in the lyrics. And like he has that song, um, uh, Sexy Boots. And it's a paraphrase of where Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so the whole song is a um, challenge to the church. And then he says, you don't know, you don't get it, do you? You don't know how beautiful you are. And so he was the one that made the statement that Bill Hybels interview, Bono, about if the sleeping giant would rouse itself, it could change the world. And, you know, uh, of course, paraphrasing um, the old uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt quote where he told Japan, you've roused the sleeping giant. And uh, America is now going to enter the war. But uh, Bono paraphrased that to the church, which was brilliant, which I stole in church zero. Cha-ching! But, uh, which you can find at your local bargain bin. Amazon.com forward slash church zero forward slash hashtag and 0325. <laughs> Stop. <page>. Stop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know how like you look up your address on your, yeah. your book? And uh, Speaking of that, Pete, you got a book on uh, Amazon. I have lots of books on Amazon. What you talking I'm talking about the Facebook one. Yeah, Facebook one's doing really well. I'm What's really surprised it? by it. Would everyone want to know about Facebook advertising, how you two can generate hot qualified leads in the next 20 minutes with Facebook? I'm waiting. Got a lead. Boom. Ding. Just got I'm another waiting. one. Ding. I'm waiting. Actually, I did. <laughs> That's hey, so funny. You broke the rule. What do you got to say after you plug your book? Oh, cha-ching. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I was, so, I'm not used to self-promotion like that. I, I, I know. I know. I'm like, I don't think Pete's ever mentioned one of his books on there, but that <laughs> is a really good book. So here's the thing. Um, going back to you, too. So he, he has that one where he's, you know, it's basically a, a, a call to the church. The whole album is filled with stuff like that. Amazing uh, spiritually. And uh, this, this uh, latest album that was just released for free, uh, it will be free up until October um, hey, hey, October, get it? You two fans, diehards, October. Okay. Anyways, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. But I digress. Uh, if you want to get it, you can get it free on iTunes. Apparently, it's already in your iTunes library. It was like an automatic download. It's just kind of they touch fingers during the uh, Apple unveiling, kind of like E.T. or God and Adam. And uh, ding, it magically happened. It went in your iTunes folder. 
And uh, anyways, uh, it's there. It's called Songs of Innocence. It's good. And it is all about his childhood, which kind of leads me to believe that they're going to put out another album rather quickly. This is my theory that Songs of Experience will be next because uh, the old uh, Songs of Innocence and Experience, the book of poems that was composed during the Romantic period, um, famous uh, Romantic literature, Songs of Innocence and Experience. And I'm guessing that we are going to get uh, a pay-for album um, very quickly that will not be about the childhood, but uh, kind of a coming-of-age little. Well, they did get paid for that album. Apple paid them a lot. A of lot course of they money. did. Of course they did. But I think, you know, they've been working on this album for five years. But it's good, man. It is a good album. But I would have thought you liked it better because it's got things like um, that are reminiscent of, I got the power. It's got all that kind of stuff. Look, I own, I was actually checking my, my iTunes account. I own 54 songs that I've actually paid for. I could really? I could tell you probably five or six of them off the top of my head, and some of them you would just die if you knew. Obviously, I got the power is one of them. Never going to give you up. That's not hey, I just rickrolled the podcast. Never going to say goodbye. I, I also have um, Ice Ice Baby. Got to have Vanilla Ice. Oh, of course. Dude, if you did not have – all three you've mentioned is what I always – I was going to say mock you about, but uh, would you picture me to have? <laughs> I picture you driving down the road listening to Ice Ice Baby. Oh, you know one that I did buy. That's I do do that. So do another one that I did buy was um uh from our favorite movie, the the best worst movie ever, the worst best movie ever. No, the stupidest cool movie or the coolest stupidest. Yeah, movie. I got the uh, the theme song to Pacific Rim. That's just that's just good. Oh, that's good. So when you're rolling into like you know an event where you're going to do a presentation, you play that. I also got. Uh, ooh, I don't know if I could share that one on the Church Planner podcast. I'll skip that one. Come on, no, Come on. I'm serious. All right. All right. <laughs> is it like it is? It just got tons of cussing in it. Probably. I mean, yeah. I'm sure. I have to Based... say, I have a weakness for Rage Against the Machine, and that, do you really? That can be an exp- I do. Hey, oh, here's a, here's a newer well, one I that I bought. I opened up Church Zero, Cha-Ching. I've with, got uh, Wrecking Ball from, from Miley Cyrus. I didn't even realize I had that, but I do. Look at that. Yeah, yeah I, I actually I actually started Church Zero, Cha-Ching, with, uh, with, a, with a quote from Rage Against the Machine. And I, I remember thinking, no one's going to, you know, I've got a book in the works, um, as I always do, which you always laugh. I, I have like four or five books in the works right now. I just started another one this week. But one of them is about kind of the punk rock roots of, of Christianity. When you really understand what the gospel is, you understand what Christianity is. Um, and I'm just, like, I'm going to a punk show tonight. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I, I just, I see that as such a connecting uh, factor in Christianity. I got Walk This Way by Run DMC. I remember that video. That was a great video in the 80s. It's Tricky by Run DMC. 18 in Life by Skid Row. That needs to be your new nickname, Reverend Run. (laughs) Reverend Run. (laughs) I am ordained, let's not forget. DMC. I did get ordained online. I remember that. Not as cool as in a Rolling Stone magazine like Michael Cheshire, but, uh, but I did get ordained nonetheless online. Somewhere two church planners just got their wings for mentioning him. 
So anyway, what are we talking about on today's podcast? So today we are going to talk much to the chagrin of Hector Mora and uh, Joey Roper and Janusz Mogulevich. I made that up. I don't know his last name. Janusz. The uh, mastermind behind the Gumi Poopin and the Snuffleupagus. Uh, we are going to talk today about uh, risking for the gospel. We're going to talk about danger, danger, Will Robinson. We're going to talk about uh, pushing yourself to get out of your comfort zone. So um, in the book that I was um, attempting to write yesterday, I mentioned that the shepherd is constantly uh, trying to make sure that the sheep are comfortable and well looked after. And the evangelist is there to make sure that they don't get too comfortable. And so I'm watching what's happening right now in San Pedro, and uh, Ruben has these guys, kind of like we did in the very beginning. Of course, I'm not really in refuge Long Beach too much, but we are looking at doing something very radical that will get us back out of our comfort zone, which is what apostolic people do. Uh, but, you know, Ruben's got these guys starting a soccer ministry in the hood. He's got his people out there just talking and learning. To do talk they call about. it football? Uh, I, they might. I don't know. Because I, I know, I, I know how the rest of the world has the term football screwed up. They oh, have yeah. it I, I for the still, wrong sport. I still uh, check myself before I say football uh, mentally by saying American football in my head because you can't. You can't say football like, you know, Monday Night Football just started up. You can't say that. They'll be like, what are you talking about? You have to say, oh, American football is just starting. Anywhere in the world, you have to say that. You know what's funny is you don't really use your feet much in American football. But it it started, um, it, yeah, I mean, it started as uh, rugby, American football. So um, I, I wonder if that's kind of where that came about. I don't know, but rugby players are just gnarly. Oh, I mean, dude, they're so tough. That's a real sport. Oh, dude, rugby is like the bomb. I got really into rugby. There. I remember in college they were asking me to play it, and I'm like, dude, you guys don't take breaks. I'm like, no. No. There's no – and not only that, you have to be fast, strong, and smart. In American football, you – Well, I had the strong part. I didn't have the fast or the smart, so that was out. You, you, can, you can get away in American football, though, with only being one of those three. Whereas, uh, oh, how do we get on this? We got to get back into our topic. I don't know. Well, we got onto that because you said Ruben was starting a soccer ministry. So we starting a soccer ministry, and uh, and that's kind of the deal. Is, you know, he's just always pushing right now because he's kind of going about it the new breed style, which is we're not gonna like throw up a sign and tell everyone, hey, everybody, we're this church, and send a bunch of postcards to Christians hoping to get them to shift. In fact, we're talking, we're in the process, we're talking to other churches in there, and we're telling them, don't worry, we're not going after your people. We're just not going after the people you go after. Those are Christians, they can bust out of the town, because there's not a an evangelical witness, excuse me, in San Pedro, that uh, we're aware of. Everybody has to bus out right now because it's such a ghetto that, uh, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever even been to San Pedro other than I know they got some ports there. And like, that's all I ever think of when I think of San Pedro is the port. San Pedro, you know, usual suspects. I mean, it's, it's a violent area. Um, it's known for being heavy crime, lots of mafia activity, lots of gang activity, um, lots of crime. And it is geographically separated 
um, by a bridge from, let's say, Long Beach. You know, you, is it an island or it's there. still it's connected to the? It's a peninsula. Okay, it's, it's a peninsula. Yeah, all right. All right. Yeah, it's really hard to get to. Um, you know, it's considered part of Long Beach, but it's its own deal. So it, it to get from Long Beach to it, you got to take a a freaky bridge. I mean, the scariest bridge. There's a bridge in San Diego, and man, I used to cross the bridge from Wales to England quite frequently, and that's a massive bridge going over the English Channel, and that one doesn't freak me out as much as, you know, the bridge to San Pedro, man. That thing feels like you're going to fall off. All right. Before we get into this topic anymore, I have to share with you one of the funniest things that's happened to me in my life. Jamie's family is all from Iowa, so we went out to Iowa for- That's funny by, by itself. I'm sorry. I, we went out there for some event. I don't even know what it was. So probably a wedding, wedding or a funeral, right? I, I've only been out there the one time. And um, I'm from San Francisco, right? In San Francisco, we've got the Golden Gate Bridge. We've got the Bay Bridge. We've got the San Mateo Bridge. Um, we've got Dunbarton. I mean, we got all these bridges up there, right? And so I'm out there in Iowa, and everyone's like, oh, hey, did you take Pete to see the mile-long bridge? Like, that was the big deal in Iowa was to go see a mile-long bridge. I'm like, dude, I'm from San Francisco. What's a mile-long awesome. bridge? We call those overpasses. <laughs> it was just like, that is awesome. Whatever. You know, but that was a cool thing to them there in Iowa. Mile-long bridge. That's and awesome. it's all cement. <laughs> Well, here's here's the risk, church planners. You know, you you start off, and and I'm going to weave your bridge story back. Nice, in. I like it. Yeah, because uh, you, you you sparked me. And uh, but here's the thing: talking about risk and Pete, I know this is kind of like a it's a subject close to your heart, right? You're an entrepreneur, and uh, but but with a church plant, what often happens is particularly when say. Um, you plan a church, and if if you have a model like ours, which is very first century, where you have an apostolic type, type guy like Paul who comes and lays a foundation, and then others come and build on it, often it's your teacher, it's your shepherd, and they're kind of the more conservative ones. They're they're bent on taking care of the sheep and teaching them. But you need still uh, prophetic leaders and evangelists to... Um, to, to be reading and the reason why uh, or to be feeding into the church, the prophet needs to constantly be saying, Hey guys, are we like becoming an automated machine? Um, that's now just going off momentum and the crowds are coming and we're, we're running a show every Sunday. Like where's God? Are we hearing from him? Uh, do we expect God to turn up? People are coming with real problems cool we get all touchy feely with them shepherd but are you delivering the power of god to break addictions to uh prophetically speak into their lives what about the guy with cancer we just you know uh telling him about you know i oh, hope you get a good doctor pray for guidance you know for the doctor's hands or is he laying hands and saying be healed in the name of jesus so you need guys that are more prophetic but you really need an evangelist because without an evangelist your church is going to become more and more insular over time. So uh, the evangelist will constantly be focused on um, reaching lost people and getting them saved. That's the bottom line. But the apostolic leader is focused on 
taking the church back out. So when, when the church first starts, just think about it. The apostolic leader is, he's the thin end of the wedge, right? He's kind of like the, the ninja, you know, he, he, he goes in there. Um, he's like a one man army. He gets a job done and he raises up others. So when he leaves, um, they can, you know, do everything that needs to be done. But like Paul, when he would come back through or he would send his apostolic guys, Timothy, Titus, they would kind of inject uh, that risk factor that, hey, guys, rather than hanging out in the bunker, let's get back out in the trenches and take some new ground. So there always has to be this forward movement. And that's what the apostolic, who's a sent out one, does. But he doesn't, even though he starts off going out on his own, kind of like Reuben, that's why evangelism factors heavily and risk and danger and all of that. When he comes back through the church, like Paul did, Paul on a second missionary journey, he actually, it says in the text and Acts, he says, hey, let's go visit the churches we planted and encourage them. And so what he's doing, you know, we think of Paul's second missionary journey is like he's going and he's breaking new ground. What he actually sets out to do is to get those churches doing, you know, kind of what they did in the beginning. And that's risky stuff, um, being a real kind of frontline organ- organism and uh, rather than an organization, a conservative organization. And he goes back to do that. And so um, what the, the apostolic guy functioned as is he wants to take the whole church to the front lines. That's how he started. The church was planning the front lines. And when an apostolic guy comes back into the church, that's his um, that's his, his passion. So for me, for just an example now, using uh, Refuge Long Beach as an example, um, I'm not there a lot. Uh, because I've, I've gone on to start working with planning other churches now, particularly in, in North County, San Diego. Um, I've gotten involved with the church there and we're in talks right now about, you know, how to plant out. So, but when I go back to Refuge Long Beach, I see that as kind of like Paul's, uh, journeys back, um, to his churches that he planted. When I go back, I'm always stimulating them to think frontline. So we started barbecues at meet in the, in the church. That was the first thing, uh, that we kind of made a regular part of the church's life so that we get out even just once a month and be out front line. But what we're getting ready to do is to go <laughs> really front line. Um, we got this crazy idea right now to, um, to be looking at meeting in a gas station, uh, closer to the hood. We don't know if it's going to happen. We don't know if it's actually, if, if it's going to be pulled off, but you know, we've got to look at zoning laws, but, uh, we've been praying it through. We've been talking with the real estate agent and that's what we're hoping to do. So, uh, taking a church, um, doing an outdoor church at a gas station on the corner, uh, next to the ghetto in Long Beach, um, off Atlantic Avenue and, uh, run a church and doing, you know, uh, recovery meetings, blah, blah, blah. And you've got to keep your church having its edge if it's going to keep reaching lost people. Otherwise, it itself becomes a spiritual uh, religious ghetto, a dead end, a cultural dead end, uh, spiritually speaking. You know, what's interesting about this topic is uh, I mentioned to you probably a couple of weeks ago that I started reading, um, well, reading, listening to the audio version from Audible, The Cross and the Switchblade. 
man, I thought you were reading the book. Now you've like shot. I I thought we were corrupting you. No, and I would just like to uh, to suggest to everyone that if you don't have an Audible account, you can get a free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash CPM. And you help put a little wind in these pirate sales. Woohoo! But uh, Yeah, I think you can even cancel it after the first month. So you can actually get the book for free if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash CPM. I'm on my way right now. And um, this is a book that I read when I was probably in high school, right? I mean... I, no, I didn't read any books in college, so it had to have been in high school. <laughs> or maybe junior high, even, for that matter. So it's been, you know, a couple of decades since I picked that book up. But in listening to that book, I, um, for me, for me, it was like, it was very, very difficult for me to listen to that book. That is the church planters book. In fact, um, I think you and I are going to have to do a book review on that book. It is such the church planner's book. To. Yeah, in in jump school, uh, we will be doing a book review on that book because I need to reread that book. We were talking about this. You're like, dude, have you ever read uh, that book? You're like, it's a I'm, church. I just assume that you'd read it actually. I mean, because it's such. I mean, you know, it's the cross and the switchblade. Over 15 million copies sold. The, so. the irony of you saying that, I, I was wrong. I actually mentioned you um, on a podcast way back. I mentioned that the first two Christian books I ever read were, um, and I said it was the only two books that they had in the library. I was wrong. There were actually three. Because the three Christian books I read, the first three, and probably the three that impacted me the most, and still when you told me, oh, Cross on the Switchblade, I'm like, that was the third Christian book I ever read. It's obviously impacted me. It stayed with me all these years. It is such a church planner's book. Like literally everything about it is like what we have talked about on the last 97 episodes of this podcast of being a church planner and reading it one in the context of planning a church, which even though they didn't really see that's what they were doing, they didn't say that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. Right. They saw it as teen challenge was their um, ministry that they started. The uh, okay. churches that helped support the thing the most were all house churches. Um, uh, most of them were Spanish house churches in the area. When he started the whole thing, he had the most uh, help and support from the Assemblies of God. But by the end of it, they had like uh, Episcopalian, um, Dutch Reformed, like all these guys were like part of the board, just like wow. what happens in a church plant. Um, reading it in context of Church Zero and the five rules of yeah, cha-ching. I didn't say it. I mean, it's not my book, so that's why I didn't do the cha-ching. Um, Church Zero, cha-ching. There you go. It is. I mean, you you can tell the grandfather is the evangelist and the apostle. Um, he was much more probably of. At the beginning of his career, David Wilkinson, the guy who uh, writes the book, and it's his story, um, he, he was probably more of a shepherd, maybe a teacher, uh, but certainly not an apostle, certainly you know, not someone who just goes out and um, does the kind of crazy stuff that they ended up doing. But w- one of the reasons, too, that I really think it is the church planner's book is the book in my opinion, really, really underscores 
the power and the need for prayer. Yeah. Every step of the way. I mean, what really kicked off the whole thing, because if you guys don't know the story, I'll just share it real quick. Uh, Yeah, yeah, share it, man. I mean, because this is this is perfect. I mean, we might as well talk about it because it's it's actually a a real life example of something completely radical where the guy risked everything. And it is a story of risk and danger. Very much so. Very, very much so. I mean, I literally it, it was listening to the book. You know, because I, I would listen to it while I was driving places. It was very hard for me to do because I would get so choked up listening to it. Like my throat would hurt, you know, and I'm like, dude, I, I, you know, sometimes I just have to turn it off. I'm like, I can't take it. Like it's so emotionally draining, um, hearing all this stuff. But broad strokes, he's a country pastor in, I think it was Pennsylvania. And, um, He's a third generation pastor. His grandfather was like, uh, you know, like I said, the apostle or the evangelist. Um, he would go around from church to church and never really had a home church and he would just preach all over the place. Um, and his father became a pastor and then he became a pastor. And really what to me as I'm reading the story, what kicked it off for him is he had this TV. And I mean, this is in the 1950s, late 1950s. So um, it's not like today we're literally in my house. I think we've got five TVs and there's three of us. And we had five TVs when there was only two of us. I mean, like we're a TV-rich family. That's, had, a, that's a reaction to your Baptist upbringing. It really is. Oh, my gosh, dude. Oh, my. Don't even get me started on that. I'm psychoanalyzing you right now. <laughs> that was the biggest. I got – every time I got grounded, that was what they took away was TV. Except awesome. – I can. I could always watch the news. Like they said, we'll let you watch the news. And so my teachers were like, he's always the most well-informed person in the class. <laughs> I'm like, you must have been grounded a lot. Oh, dude, I was grounded most of my life. I'm like, that's all I could ever watch was the news. That, um, Bill and Ted's bogus journey where they flash back to like when he was a kid. And he's like, bogus. Dude, I picture you like, you know. Your parents are like no TV. They're like no Star Trek. <laughs> but that was before they had Star or Star Wars on um, on VHS. Because remember that wasn't for like years and years. They finally. Oh, oh yeah, dude, big time. But anyway, so he had this this TV in his house, and he's the only one who watched it. it was David Wilkerson, and um, <laughs> he just he just kind of prays. And he's like, you know, what would happen if if I just got rid of the TV and I spent the two hours every night that I spend watching TV and I prayed for two hours. Like that was what started it was like, you know, I wonder what this would be like. And so he goes, God, all right, here's what I'm going to do, but uh, I'm going to do a little Gideon action on you. I'm going to lay down the fleece. I'm going to um, put an ad in the paper to sell the TV. Cause again, 1950s, right? Don't have the internet. I'm going to put an ad in the paper to sell the TV. And uh, God, if you uh, really, you know, want me to spend two hours in prayer with you every day, instead of watching the TV, then you got to send a buyer and you got to send a buyer within the first 30 minutes. <laughs> like, wow. and his wife is like, yeah, sounds like you really want to do this, <laughs> you know? So, um, he puts an ad in the paper. It was like a Friday morning. And, uh, so the paper came out at like, I don't know, 6.30 or something. And he's sitting by his phone. And 29 minutes in, he's like, oh, sweet, dude. I get to keep my TV. And then, ring. <laughs> Dude calls and he goes, "Hey, you got a TV for sale?" <laughs> and he's like, "Crap!" That's awesome. <laughs> he's That's like, awesome. "Yes." And he goes, "How much you want for it?" 
And he's like so blown back by that because he's like, well, I didn't think I was going to actually have to sell it, so I didn't think of a price. <laughs> so he goes, 100 bucks. And the guy goes, great, I'll be there in 15 minutes. <laughs> so that's, that's like awesome. how the whole thing kicks up. But the, the impact that it had on me, because he, he starts talking, he goes, it's really difficult at first, was like figuring out, you know, how do I break up this two hours of prayer? You know, how much time do I spend just praising God and how much time do I spend... Um, and so he, he just was like, it was a, it was a kind of a neat thing, but that really is what started everything for him. As I read the book and I'm looking at it, I'm like, it was really that prayer. It was that two hours every day in prayer. And, um, I mean, what do you think would happen, you know, in most church planners lives if they spent two hours every day in prayer, I would bet most of them don't. I mean, I bet a lot of them spend a good time in prayer, but two hours? I mean, that's a lot. I mean, what do you do? Do you do two hours a day? Me? Yeah. Uh, no. I know you probably do at least an hour, knowing you. You look no, like an hour I, kind of guy to me. Yeah. I. It depends, man. Like, it depends. It goes up and down. Like, right now, I'm waking up at about 5.45 every morning. My goal is 5. The rule is I... I spin from the time I get up to the time that I start work. But, of course, I got to get a few girls up and, you know, coffee. Only the big ones, only the, the grown ones. But, yeah, it goes it goes up and down, and it just depends on the particular day. But I'm funky if I don't get time with God. And there mm-hmm. are times where I'll go through seasons like anyone else where, you know, that's a struggle to me because – and it, there's no rhyme or reason to it, to be honest. Um but I might, but you know, it, it's important to me. And I, the, there are times where I've, I've prayed for and sought the Lord and say the word where it goes for hours. And there are times where it's shorter. And, um, I, I find that this is the truth now. Uh, when it's shorter, I find it harder. When it's really? longer and I know it's going to be longer, I just, I relax into it, and it's awesome. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so I mean, like just imagine though, if you could yeah. spend two hours every day in prayer, like, yeah. No, I'm I'm not there right now. I wish oh, I. Would. Well, and it's really difficult when you got kids as young as we've got, right? I mean, yeah, I'm not exactly. like that, that's the that's when it changed. I would say before that, yeah. I mean, his kids that, that were older. I think they were like in high school or something. I mean, so it's a little bit different of a scenario. And plus, if you're a night person, sometimes it's a little bit easier for you if you got kids because you can put them all to bed and then you got time. Uh, my wife would never be able to do that. I joke with her that at 9.20 is her bedtime. So I'm like, oh, it's eight minutes past your bedtime. Are you going to be able to make it to the next episode of Sam Crow? Come on. Come on. You can do it. What's so, Sam Crow? Sons of Anarchy. Oh, okay. Uh, not that I would watch that, Church Planner. Uh, no. no, I no, no, no. no never. I, I watch Parenthood, which is very holy. I'll have you know. I wouldn't know. I don't want to. Brian, my show. (laughs) So, but I mean, like, that's what it starts with. And throughout the entire book, I mean, you literally just hear the story of God showing up time and time again. And I was talking about this yesterday, actually, with White Tyrone, um, because we were talking about another church planner who um, has uh, a, a different view on church planning, a different view actually on the church, on growing a church, on all of that stuff. And uh, this particular guy's goal is to have a, a a church that's 
very financially well off. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I mean, don't we wish Refuge Long Beach was financially well off? I mean, that'd be hot, right? Yeah. I think the challenge becomes though, when that's your goal, what are you willing to do to get there? And so, well, that's very true. Yeah. Personally to me, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with being a church with a lot of money. More money means that you can be a mission hub. If, if that's what you're after. But, but often I find that when people set their sight on being a financially successful institution, the motive is not for mission. That, that's my concern. Well, and, and even think- if it is for mission, um, I think, I mean, let me just contrast it against David Wilkerson, something that he wrote in the book that spoke to where he was. Like they always struggled financially. I mean, you talk about the fact that you were so skinny and people are like, oh, what's your secret? You're like, uh, I eat once a day. That was him. And he was like extremely skinny because he could barely afford any food. After they get the whole ministry up and it's running, I mean, they're constantly in need of money. And yeah. he said yeah. – And he was on mission. I mean, totally. Like what you're saying, what you're saying right now is is the model. It is the model. It's a model Paul had. Where he's like, hey, I, I don't have enough money. I need more money. He's writing to the church easy plan. Hey, can you support this? Because we've got to further the mission. Boom. That, well, that's and, and he even said, he goes, I don't think we'll ever be, uh, you know, an organization that has a lot of money. He goes, because I believe God wants us where we're at to put our faith completely in him that he'll provide. Yeah. And so, you know, in our conversation uh, yesterday, uh, Tyrone and I, I'm like, you know, it's, it's two different ways of looking at it. And it, it, you know, some people I think God wants to do that. I mean, take a look at Rick Warren. He has proven not to God that he's going to be responsible with his money because God already knew what Rick yeah. would do with the money. Yeah. But think about the growth process that has to go through a guy like Rick to where he can be at now this mega church and they are so on for mission yeah that it wasn't like god needed him to prove it it was like rick needed to learn along the way to become that kind of a person so when he did have the finances his eyes were still set on god and like this yeah. is our number one priority yeah he started poor i mean all the stuff that church everyone starts through, poor i mean well, unless you inherit a big church i mean you're yeah. gonna start poor yeah, he he started reaching affluent people, which you know he said, "I'm I'm going after the yuppies, man, because no one's going after them." And that was fair. That was a fair assessment. Um, many many people were still going after the hippies and the youth, and he's like, "You know what? If I get the yuppie, I get the whole family. If I if I go for the male, I'll get them all." And that was his approach. And so he went for that, and he got money. But that guy was a church planner at heart, and he kept planning churches, and his missions program was was incredible. So when you start studying this dude, you're like, holy crap, this guy, uh, again, like you said, he's just a faithful dude with the money God gave him. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and it's just, it was, it, it was really cool hearing how God showed up. Like last night... I finished off the book actually this morning listening to it, but last night I'm, I'm driving, so I'm listening to it. And um, at this point in, in the book, they finally have their own building. Um, they got kids that are living there, kids that are coming off of drugs. And 
they didn't have any food one morning. So one morning they wake up, they got like, I don't know, 20 kids in the house and there's no food. And so one of the kids goes, ah, it looks like God didn't show up this time. And he goes, well, let's just go ahead and pray about it. So they all go in the little chapel and they all start praying. All the kids, all the staff, everyone's in there because they don't have enough food to feed anybody. Not the kids, not any of the adults that work there. No one's getting food that day. So, um, they're all in there praying and it had been like an hour of prayer and, uh, this gal walks in and this gal is like, you know, looking around at everyone, not knowing what's going on. And, and I guess David was in the back of the room and so he realizes she's there. And so he gets up and, uh, they go into another room and she's like, what is this place? And so he explains what they do and, and she goes, yeah, you know, I've heard about you guys, but you know, never met anybody, never been here. Um, what are you guys doing? He's like, oh, well, you know, we don't have any food today. So we started praying that God will uh, provide for us either the food or the money that we need. We need, you know, about 35 bucks for, for food today. She goes, well, when did you start doing that? And he looks at his watch and he's like, oh, I guess about an hour ago. And she goes, oh, that explains it. And he goes, what? And she goes, about an hour ago, I got this inexplicable feeling that I needed to take all the money out of my piggy bank and come down here. And she hands him an envelope inside is like $32.15. Which back then was a lot more than it is today. Well, this is, again, it's the late 1950s, early, early 1960s. I mean, 35 yeah. bucks can feed 20 people three meals in one day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a completely different uh, time. But it, it's, like, I think the benefit to that is no one likes likes like enjoys to live that way but people love when they get to see god show up like that like absolutely well, that's the thing that's when we're talking about danger and risk right jesus's whole model for for he takes these guys you know they're fishermen and you know that's a that's a risky life right he's got a tax collector who's like a local enforcer he's got a zealot these men were not averse to risk to begin with and i find it interesting that Jesus is picking guys that know what it is to risk already. I mean, John the Baptist, or uh, John the Apostle, um, Andrew, these guys were already following John the Baptist, who was an, a risk taker, right? I mean, the guy goes out, lives in the in the in the uh, desert, you know, uh, eats locusts and wild honey, preaches against the established religious authorities, and eventually ends up, you know, an outlaw and a martyr. So, but John and Andrew are like, let's go follow this dude. Let's go, let's go serve him. They were his disciple. So these were risk takers to begin with. People don't often bring that up. But when Jesus takes him, he goes, right. Okay. Here's, here's your final exam. There's, there's this transition where he sends out the 72. And as he sends the 72 out, this, this is kind of the transition for him. Uh, I mean, for them, where it's almost like a test. It's it's kind of a threshold in ministry where he gives them a taste of what he wants them to do. And he sends them out and he tells them, don't take any extra stuff. Go. He's he's basically telling them, just as you are right now, goodbye. Don't go home. Don't pack. Just go right now. Now, you know that right there is a is a risk. There's a danger element. There's an absolute dependency upon God. And so for me, when I look at this, you know, this dependency on God, this is what we're lacking 
in Western Christian culture. This is what, and that's when you get comfortable. That's when everything becomes about my personal comfort because we're already comfortable and we want to be more comfortable. That's the human tendency to want more and more comfort. Um, if, if I've got, you know, uh, you know, uh, comfortable sheets, I want, you know, the uber weave Egyptian cotton, you know, um, I want to be more and more and more comfortable. And Jesus is like, look, you're not going to grow spiritually. And what you said about people love God turning up, those 72 were sent out as, you know, I, I call them like Ronin, you know, they're, they're out there, they're, they're like, uh, you know, I'm writing that book, The Ninja Planner right now. Well, boom, they're ninja planners. They, they, they go out there like ninjas and they're traveling around and they're, they're on their mission and they're striking hard and stealing back into the shadows and boom, off to another village or hamlet. And at each point, they need God to turn up. That is the development. That's why when you're a church planner, when you go, oh, the first thing I want is a bunch of money so I can be secure. I just, I'm not saying like you shouldn't be rich if you're to empower a mission, but I feel that on mission nowadays, we tend to take the risk element out. And that is such an essential part of the church planner's development. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I definitely think that we do take a lot of risk out, but I think there are plenty of missionaries, uh, both domestic and overseas, that are chocked full of risk. I mean, I agree. I agree. I think it, I think I, it really just depends on, yes. you know, where you're at. And I think that's fair. I mean, there are definitely missionaries out there in dangerous places, but what I'm talking I mean, about. We know is missionaries this. right now in Iraq, and I think they're out of their minds oh, to be yeah, in Iraq. Yeah. I, I think yeah. Jonathan in freaking Kenya is just out of his mind. Yeah. I mean, they're killing Christians <laughs> left and right there. And they're, I don't, I, I'm sure you, well, they were over at your house the day before he came and spoke at church, but I mean, they're sending guys who are getting saved. They're sending them to the areas where the Muslims are just killing all the Christians. And they're like, you know, God's called us to go over there and plant a church. Freaking crazy. Well, but dude, think about it though. Like that is first century Christianity. That's what Christianity is. And we warped it into something else. You read it crossing the switchblade and it's like you're rediscovering first century Christianity. That's why we read it. That's why it resonates with us. That's why in our heart of hearts, we know this is real Christianity. That's why Christianity, we're just going to church Sunday by Sunday and sitting in an air-conditioned room, which we don't, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> that's so funny. I just got that. It took me a minute. Yeah, but but you know, you're you're going to a church week after week, and you're just listening to a sermon, and the guy's making you chuckle a bit, and you're singing some songs that are okay, and you may be into it, you may not be into it, and then you leave. It makes no sense. It is not first-century Christianity. And that's why young people are like, what in the heck are you guys doing? Right? They don't get that. But you take them out, you know, with Jonathan Ferguson or you send them to Iraq to, to go be with the Kenans. They get it. And they're like, okay, now I get Christianity. A, they see the conditions people live in. They see the um, worldviews that these people are, are subjected to, um, the slavery that people are. I mean, uh, kind of what's cool right now about the current events, like with ISIS, is people are seeing, like, I love how in America we live in our American bubble. We only watch American news. When I went and lived in Europe, it was like the news was an eye-opener, where everything in the in, in America, it's like if you watch the Olympic coverage, it's the Americans took the silver, the Americans took the gold, the Americans took the bronze. 
Um, everything's about America and how stuff affects Americans. If there's an, a story about overseas, it's usually the gossip or it's something that affects America. You go and you watch British news, like just watch your BBC news sometimes, and it's world events. It's not, you know, Anglo-centric. It's not America-centric. Um, and that was a real culture shock to me. Well, what's kind of cool right now is that, uh, you know, British popular culture has been talking about the threat of the Islamic ideals for years. In America, we're like, oh, America, America. So we don't talk about that. And I'm not up on the propaganda. Like, we're people are using ISIS for propaganda right now on Facebook. That sickens me. But How do you mean they're using it for propaganda? Well, they're using it like right now. The uh, I, It's particularly Christians that are just using it to, to just slam... Islam. And that's not where I'm coming from at all, right? You know, the, the satanic, you know, Islamist movement. And it's all this weird stuff that somehow goes back to slamming Democrats and praising Republicans. The, the reality is what's good right now about this crisis is, is what people are seeing is the slavery that anything other than a Christian worldview will ultimately bring you under. And and, and I know a lot of people, like if a non-Christian listen to this right now, he's going, what? Well, ultimately, everything brings a type of slavery, even if you don't have a religion. Um, typically, uh, even atheism brings a type of slavery because it tells you to give into whatever makes you feel good, given your passions, given, you know. So there is no moral inhibition that holds you back. Um, you can believe in doing good to people as an atheist, but it, at the end of the day, um, you're going to be personally addicted to just just about whatever takes you fancy because you have no reason to abstain. So uh, atheists often end up very unhappy, very uh, you know passionately dominated people, dominated by their passions. And so, anyways, what, what's good about what I'm saying, you know, what uh, is happening with ISIS is that this is the reason we go to the mission field. And it's the same reason David Wilkerson. And, uh, and I think what you're trying to say is the only thing good is that we can see that there's, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you got to be careful when you say the good thing about what's going no, on. No, no. What I'm saying is America's seen the condition of the world. Yeah. There are American Christians. That's what I'm trying to say is American Christians are seeing what life looks like for other people right now out there in the world. And it's not good, man. I mean, the world is a really rough place and we think, it's not because we live here. And so, um, but, but it's every, every time that the Bible talks about going front line, it talks about your heart being moved with compassion, right? It talks about, um, Jesus, you know, looking at the crowds and his heart's move of compassion. He says, pray that the Lord sends more workers. The harvest is right. Um, you know, for, as Paul says, you know, uh, for the love of Christ compels us. That's why we're out of our heads. That's why we go out there. That's why we're like sheep counter for the slaughter. He lays out his whole mission statement. It's Christ's love for these people. Um, I was listening to a Baptist guy last week. I know we're running out of time, but he took, he took the Lord as my shepherd. And he said, I just, I, I sat there one day. I was getting ready to, to preach Psalm 23. And I wanted to preach it in a way that really brought it alive because we've heard it so much. And, he said, you know, I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. Preach it, preach it oppositely. Like, in other words, uh, take each clause and turn it around. You know, instead of the Lord is my shepherd, preach, I have no shepherd. 
And so he says, you know, this is what you're going to preach. At each point, it's, you know, um, I'm alone and no one cares for me and there's no one looking after me. I got to take care of myself. And then he goes down to the second one. I shall not want. I am dominated by my passions and I want too much. And I find that my wants exceed my ability to, uh, satisfy them, you know, and he just goes through the whole psalm. It was mind blowing, dude. And that is how people are. And so when David Wilkerson, uh, is sitting there and, and he's reading that newspaper, watching the news and his heart just starts breaking, uh, for those kids in the inner city that were on trial. Um, that's the reason that we've got to push ourselves to risk and to go beyond where we are. Otherwise we get in a little Christian bubble. And on the new U2 album, Bono has a song on there that says, you'll sleep like a baby tonight. And it's a song about the church. And he says, morning breaks like a suicide. And, you know, he's describing the world and all of its horrible uh, anguish and the reason we need to take the gospel out. And he keeps saying, you know, like like they say about religious people with clean consciences, but you'll sleep like a baby tonight. You know, it's not affecting you. And he mentions during the bridge to the song that, you know, uh, something to the effect of, I only remember part of one of the lines where he says, uh, why go meet the war head on when the war is inside the church? Mm. And it's just powerful, you know. And and if if we were taking risks and we were going out there um, on a regular basis, we wouldn't be fighting in churches. We wouldn't be hung up on what the worship sounds like. If you saw people coming in, they're struggling with addiction, the entire focus of the church would shift completely. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And, um, I mean, I think that's the reason why I am so, like, enamored, or I don't even know what the right word is, with church planners. Because they're willing to step it up, right? They're willing to go out there and risk everything, put it all on the line, and and reach the lost. And I should say most church planners, because there, there are a bunch of church planners who we've met, who I've seen, who I'm like, you know what, dude just in it for the money. You know, he's yeah. just going to start another church, do a big launch, get everyone there. And now he's just secured himself a job. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, there's plenty of that. But, you know, I, by and large, the people who we see and work with on a daily basis and who reach out to us, um, you know, you got your Doug Teals of the world. And uh, we've talked about him before over there in Florida and what they're doing yeah. and just like it's it, to me, it's so awesome to see guys who have been risking it for so long, who are like just as fired up as the first day. Yeah, and it's like yeah, yeah and, you know, we've been doing this ten, fifteen years. We're, uh, we're 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 back in it. You know, we're still there. Well, absolutely. Like we're we're talking about you know moving Refuge Long Beach into a gas station because it's it's just about the riskiest thing you can do. I can imagine having an outdoor church with the gas station. The kids are inside the building part and congregations out and underneath where people normally pump gas. And you're in the heart of Long Beach in the inner city. Like that's just radical, right? Um, I saw this website called Church Under the Bridge and it was, it, things been going for 20 something years and they've got, they're massive. They're like a mega church, but they meet under the bridge where all the homeless people, uh, had this little shanty town. And they've been going for 20-something years and seeing tons of people saved. It's like a phenomenon now. And um, But, 
that's what they do. And and so I'm looking at this, and I'm you know I've I've always asked myself the question, and I think every church planter has to, particularly in his you know when he's gotten through the first year, maybe he's into the second or third year. Am I still willing to risk, or am I protecting what I've worked so hard to build? And in other words, maybe money is flowing in now, and you're thinking, but if I move over here, or I do this, or I venture out in this way, I'll lose people, which means I'll lose money. Um, you got to keep asking those questions. Is your church, you know, kind of like Paul said to the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now ending in the flesh? Are are you? Did you start in the spirit to reach people, but now it's kind of like you went from being a, a marine to being the army. In other words, and I'm no insult to the army, but you know the, the the marines are known as bullet stoppers. They take new ground. The army comes in and holds new ground. Now that's an overstatement. It was got you know I got it from my brother when he was in the Marine Corps. He's now a uh, in the army, so he'd probably take issue with what I just said. But um, but but that's the question: Are you are you taking new ground or just holding ground? And so risk becomes a piece of that. You've got to get back on on the front line. And as as an, an apostolic leader, I would just urge you to ask the Lord. You know, at some point in your church plant right now, Lord, where would you have me go that I don't want to go? Remember where Jesus told Peter, He goes, "The day's coming where men are going to lead you. You don't want to go." And I, I think there's always a healthy sense of, <laughs> I, I, you know, kind of like Jesus, Lord, I don't want to do this, Father. I don't want to go to the cross, but it's where you need me to go and it's what you need me to do. I think we all need to be praying a healthy dose of not what I will, but what you will. Your will be done. And God is going to often call you to go where you don't want to go. And you got to be willing. Ding, ding. That's probably our time, but I, I can say, Pete, man, hearing you share about this book has personally blessed me, like in our phone calls and even on the podcast today. I was really glad you brought that up because I'm seeing you be like affected and you're affecting me because you're taking me back to when I first read that book 26 years ago, dude. <laughs> well, what's funny is I don't remember any of it when I read it before. So I wonder if I actually read it or if I just did a book report on it. And, you know, oh, yeah, I read the book because <laughs> you know, I don't remember any of it. I read all. the last line of each chapter. <laughs> you know how it is. It's like, uh, well, some guy threatens to cut him up. He says, uh, I'll still love you. All right, there. We yeah. got the gist of the yeah, book. You, Cross you the switch the There we go. You had the comic version, you know, uh, or you watched the movie with Eric Estrada. <laughs> did they do they one? Did. Yeah, yeah, you don't remember that? It was oh, um not Pat at Boone. all. Dude, Pat Boone plays David Wilkerson in the old movie, it's really cheesy. It's like you know, I gotta see if that's on Netflix. That's gotta be the greatest thing ever if it's on Netflix. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And uh Eric Estrada plays um Nikki Cruz. Dude, that's awesome. I swear to you, it's so cool. You know, remember remember Ponch Ponch in the uh in the disco floor at the end of like some episodes of Chips, for those of you that are young, you have no clue what I'm talking about. There's a show about two motorcycle cops called Chips. Before we sign off, it's just important you know this. <laughs> and uh, at the end, it's so stinging funny. I'm going to post it on YouTube. we got to put it on YouTube on the Church Planner Magazine uh, site because um, they would go like after a hard day of like busting heads and locking up bad guys, and they would have this thing where he was like the, the Latino hunk of the 70s. And he would like tear it up on the disco floor. And they do this big thing sometimes at the end of an episode where they'd be in the disco club 
and they just show punch dancing for like a couple minutes and it's just hilarious now looking back and it'll always be like where someone would make a joke like like at the last second of the show and everyone go ha ha and they'd all laugh and it'd freeze frame oh yeah totally remember that oh man that stuff was hilarious so anyways eric estrada nikki cruz run baby run and on awesome. next week's Church Planner Podcast, we're going to talk about the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Old Boss Hog was mighty mad about what Pete I love how every time they on that f- podcast. Every time they fly off, it's like they freeze frame, and then the voice comes yeah. on. Yeah. Roscoe and Boss Hog, man. Oh, greatest show ever. That's awesome. We're the Duke boys at Church Plant. Mm, I'm Luke. I just like the name Luke better. Well, you did name your son that. I guess that makes me Bo, and I can't handle that. Although Andrew really thinks that uh, the guy that played Luke was kind of a hunk. I think that we should. Um, we, we were actually Andrew... the cousins. We were, remember when they they fired them and they brought in two other guys, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're Bo and Luke's cousin." Oh yeah. And then they lasted yeah, yeah, for like yeah. a season. Everyone hated it, and then they were gone, and then Bo and Luke were back. I say we make we have Ben's make a movie poster. Of crossing the switchblade, like we're gonna make a new movie, and it's got you as David Wilkerson <laughs> and Ruben, Ruben Young as Nikki Cruz, and uh, I don't think awesome. anyone would see me as David Wilkerson. No, I, I think it's gotta, it's gotta happen, and I'll be the grandpa because I got I got. First of all, hair. I'm about 200 pounds too much for that. He was a skinny, You're a happy David dude. Wilkerson. You're a happy David I'm Wilkerson. A, I'm a spirit-filled, God-fed David Wilkerson. That's awesome. You're just like, hey, don't muzzle the ox, baby. I'm treading grain here. <laughs> treading grain for the Lord. All right. Well, hey, have we uh, have we overstepped our bounds and our time limit? Always. What would Always. a podcast be without doing that? Okay, well, hey, guys, if you haven't signed up for Jump School yet, uh, make sure you head over to jumpschooltraining.com. It is the best, if I do say so myself. And Pete would agree. Mm, he would agree with Pete. I would. It is the best church planner training you can get online. Go check out our video on there. And uh, it's jumpschooltraining.com. We would love to train you. And we have coming up on the 18th. Uh, there's still time for you to sign up and get in on it uh, by next week. It is the 18th. It is our Band of Brothers where it is a live Q&A where we deal with your church planning issues. And don't forget to put your questions on our Facebook page. Uh, we want, or call them in, and Pete will give you the number in a second, for uh, we're looking at starting a um, uh, podcast where we deal with your specific questions about church planning. And we want to call that Hardcore Church Planning but we need you to text, write, or post your questions to us in some way, shape, or form. So uh, if you'll do that, we'll get rolling on that podcast. We're waiting on you guys. So, Pete, tell them how they can do that. You can call us at 562-553-0004. Again, 562-553-0004. Leave us a voicemail there or, um, or yeah, put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, put it on the Facebook page, and we will uh, go ahead and get this thing rolling, man. We're really excited to help you guys as much as we can. And so this has been the Church Planner Podcast today, reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music